I think voters can be challenged by the language of this particular right. referendum question. It is definitely a question where you're going to want to do, where a voter is going to mm -hmm. want to do some research. You know, we get asked a lot of times, do I have to vote in every contest? Mm -hmm. Do I have to vote in the referendum questions? You know, no, you actually do not. But we really encourage voters to, if you're going to make that trip to your polling place and you're going to cast a ballot. Sure. Make it count. <laughs> be prepared. Make it count. Yeah. yeah, be able to vote in every contest. Be able to vote on the referendum questions on the ballot. Bridge the city. Whoa, whoa. Bridge the city. Yeah. Bridge the city. Yeah. Gotta bridge the city. The city. Bridge the city. Whoa, whoa. Bridge the city. Yeah. Bridge the city. Yeah. Gotta bridge the city. The city. Welcome to Bridge the City a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is still to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. It's Sam Woods again, and today we're back on our soapbox about the importance of voting in local elections. Long-term listeners have heard me and the Bridge City team talk extensively about the importance of voting, especially in local elections where your vote carries significantly more power. So I'll spare most of the spiel about the importance of voting in local elections. But we do have an election coming up on April 7th with a ton of state and local positions and referenda on the ballot, so if you didn't know, now you do. So fittingly, today's episode is another election special. And although whereas, and although whereas we usually use these episodes for in-depth conversational interviews with candidates on your ballot, this time we wanted to give a complete overview of everything on your ballot, rather than dive deep into only one position. So we sat down with Neil Albrecht, Executive Director at the Milwaukee Election Commission, and went line by line of the upcoming ballot to give a brief overview of what each position does and why it is important. Now, I'm sorry to bring up coronavirus again. I know you probably, it's like all you're thinking about right now, but coronavirus or COVID-19 has already changed some things about how you will vote in the upcoming election. Whereas usually you'd be able to vote early at polling places across Milwaukee, those sites have been shut down due to coronavirus concerns. As of this recording, polls will still be open on election day, April 7th, but it is very likely the election sites will also close on that day due to coronavirus. Now, as of this recording, polls will still be open on election day on April 7th, but honestly, it's very likely that these election sites will also close due to coronavirus by the time April 7th rolls along. So it is very possible that the only way to vote will be by requesting an absentee ballot. Absentee ballots are mailed to your home, which you then fill out and mail back before April 7th. And as long as they're postmarked by April 7th, your vote is good. Some of you may have voted absentee before, but for those who haven't, I'm going to demonstrate how easy it is to request an absentee ballot. So the first thing you're going to want to do is go to myvotes.we.gov and enter. And of course, this website's going to be very familiar to those of us who's been listening for a long time. That's myvote.wi.gov. Great resource for Wisconsin voters. You can find your polling place, um, find out what's on your ballot, um, register to vote, um, update your address. Everything you need to know about voting in Wisconsin is right here, including voting absentee. So if once you're there, once you're at myvote.we.gov, scroll over. There's six different gray buttons right in the center. Go all the way to the right and click the button that says vote absentee. So once you hit vote absentee, I'm going to type in some biographical information. So your first name, last name, and date of birth. So I'm going to type that in right now. That's for me, that would be Samuel, and then Woods, and then my date of birth, which I will keep to myself, and then hit enter. And then, so pops up for me, registered voter found, Samuel J. Woods, status registered, gives my current address, and I can either, there's a couple buttons there. One is to update your name or address, which I'm not interested in doing right now, of course, but the second one is to request an absentee ballot. So I'm going to go ahead and click that. 
And it'll take me to a page that starts with my name again, my address, and then a couple different options. So I'm gonna click the option that says the above address and name are mine and are correct, since I haven't moved or changed my name since the last time I voted. So I'm going to go ahead and check that box and hit enter again. And then so next page it takes me to, it asks me what elections would you like to request an absentee ballot for? And you can request them for all elections in the calendar year 2020, um, but I'm just going to request one for April 7th. Hopefully by August and November, our next elections, um, voting will be a little bit more accessible um, and coronavirus won't be as big of a concern. But luckily, it's really easy to just request another absentee ballot if we're finding ourselves in the same situation four months from now. Um, so then I'm going to click through. It says I hereby certify da, 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 that I'm not lying. Um, then I'm going to hit request ballot. And then... And so the next one is because I do not have, it looks like I do not have a photo ID on the records, um, on the records of my municipal clerk. Um, so I'll need to upload a copy of an acceptable ID. So I'm going to upload a copy. Um, so I'm going to do that right now. You're just going to have to trust me that I'm doing that. Um, hit add files, my ID. There, that's all set. I'm gonna click continue and that should be, yep, that should be that. So um, really easy, just like that. That's how easy it is to uh, sign up for an absentee ballot um, in real time. Now, of course, I was already registered to vote, so that takes out a couple steps, but if you're not currently registered, you will still have to submit a picture of your photo ID, um, and that's like a uh, Wisconsin state driver's license, a state city ID with a photo or a passport if you got one. Um, as well as a proof of residence at your address, which can be things like a utility bill or an active lease agreement. Uh, still a quick process, but a few extra steps that I didn't um, demonstrate in real time, but you know, it only adds a couple more minutes. Quick note though, uh, you can request an app. If you're already registered, you can qu request an absentee ballot through April 2nd, but if you're not registered already, uh, do that right now. Online voter registration is extended, has been extended to March 30th um, for these April 7th elections. But again, if you're listening to this podcast, even if you're listening to this podcast, right when it came out on March 26th, uh, there's not a lot of time left. Um, luckily, as you saw, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it does need to be done. If you want to make sure you vote on April 7th, uh, you'll probably have to register online and request an absentee ballot. So if you haven't done it, again, if you're not registered, make sure to do that online at myvote.wi.gov by March 30th. And if you are registered to vote, which again, you can check at myvote.we.gov, then you have until April 2nd to request an absentee ballot. Again, maybe this will be for nothing. Maybe polls will stay open on April 7th, but honestly, don't take that Don't take that risk. The As Neil Albrecht will articulate, what's on the ballot are incredibly important. So we've talked about comptroller, we've talked about all their people, um, county executive, uh, the referendums that are on the ballot, um, and of course the presidential primary. All of these have significant consequences to your life, whether you vote or not. So you might as well have a say in who fills those positions of power. So again, if you haven't requested an absentee ballot, go do so. If you haven't registered, go do that right now. And while you're doing that, I'll let Neil Albrecht take it away. My name is Neil Albrecht. I'm the executive director for the City of Milwaukee Election Commission, and in this role, I'm responsible for the oversight of elections in the City of Milwaukee. All right. And so today, our election special is going to be a little bit different, as usually we interview candidates and say, like, if you're running for circuit court judge, for example, what is a circuit court judge? But today, there's there's so much on the ballot, we just wanted to go straight to you, Neil, and just go down the ballot and explain 
um, really quickly what each position is. And the goal of this is that if you listen to this podcast, you there'll be no surprises in your ballot. So you ready? Yep. All right. So first one, very difficult. Um, what's the mayor? What does the mayor do? So the mayor of the city of Milwaukee has, uh, wears a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ultimately has responsibility for oversight of the city, the city's infrastructure, um, the city's budget and financial planning uh, for working with staff and the common council to enact city ordinances, Mm -hmm. which are really the rules that govern uh, the city of Milwaukee, but also, um, you know, working with Milwaukee public schools and coming out with initiatives that keep Milwaukee a healthy place and a good place uh, to live. Beautiful. All right. And so next up, alderperson. What's an alderperson do? So the city of Milwaukee is actually divided into 15 aldermatic districts. Um, aldermatic seats are also called council seats or our common council. Right. And so they're, they're really responsible for representing their constituents mm-hmm. in those constituents being like people who live in their district. Yeah, right? the people yeah. who 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 reside in their district, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so they're responsible for representing their constituents in the decision making around the city. Mm-hmm. So you know the, these fifteen relatively unique geographic areas, each can have different issues. Some can have profound issues related to poverty. Others can have issues related to the school system or overpopulation or gentrification or Mm -hmm. any one of those things. And so it just provides a more local, if you will, level of representation in the decision making. Yeah. Um, So next one, we're going to get a little bit more in the weeds here. So city comptroller. Now we had we had a couple city candidates for city comptroller um, on before. So uh, if you've been listening to us for a few months, you're probably familiar a little bit. But I know I just most recently who's who's on the ballot for city comptroller, not an endorsement, but she is on there, Um, said that uh, the city comptroller is kind of like a a CFO of the city. Um, would you say that's like an accurate, an yeah, accurate kind of analogy? I think that's a very good definition. Mm-hmm. The, as I understand the comptroller position, yeah. this is really the position within city government that sets financial policy for the yeah. city. So, you know, there's a lot of attention, even on a national level, about things like borrowing. How much money is it good to borrow, you can even apply this to your own personal situation. You want to keep a good credit rating as an individual. A city wants to keep a good credit rating right, as right. well. And so the comptroller makes decisions that influence things like credit rating, cash policies, borrowing, the budget. Um, they're really the common sense person uh, when it comes to fiscal decision making in the yeah. city. All right. Um, and I should say there's also a county comptroller uh, on the ballot, but it looks like there's just one person running for it. Um, yeah, right. So county comptroller, I assume, is uh, kind of the same thing, but at a countywide level? Yeah, the two exactly. The two yeah. positions really mirror each other in mm-hmm. responsibility for the most part, yeah. uh, but just at different levels of government. All right. Um, next, uh, city attorney. The city attorney oversees the city attorney's office, which is right. a lot of 
assistant city attorneys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, they uh, just ensure that the city is operating, first of all, legally, Mm -hmm. that um, actions of the common council and the mayor and the different city departments are consistent with state and federal laws. Um, They're also involved in lawsuits that involve the city, Mm -hmm. um, reaching settlements with residents over liability issues, and just any legal issue that the city becomes engaged in. Right. So if you see a a lawsuit that says so-and-so versus the city of Milwaukee or something like that, then that's what the city attorney is going to be involved with is settling those those kinds of suits? Correct. Gotcha. Correct. All right. Um, Next, uh, city treasurer. So the city treasurer is, while the comptroller sets policy, Mm -hmm. the treasurer is really about cash control. There's a lot of um, revenue that comes and goes from the city, anything from um, parking ticket payments to people paying property taxes or being issued their property tax bills. And that comes under the role of the treasurer. It's almost Mm -hmm. the... While the comptroller might be the CFO, and I think that's a good analogy, treasurer's office is almost like the branch manager and the tellers, just kind of managing all the different financial transactions. Thank you. I didn't even, I didn't didn't really know about that one. Thank (laughs) you. I appreciate it. And I I know he's, uh, or the the person, uh, the city treasurer's name is the one that comes on your, like your tax forms, right? Right. Or like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's probably where you'll see the city treasurer's name mm-hmm. at least. Um, okay. And anytime you're issued a check from yeah. the city of Milwaukee, let's just say you're owed a refund for mm-hmm. property taxes or something like that, you'll see both of those are, uh, you see the signature of the treasurer and the comptroller on that check, which really mm-hmm. kinds of shows the checks and balances that sure. are in place between those two offices. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Moving to a section that is something that you may not think about when you think of a, an election is a, is a referendum, right? So really quickly, before we go into the specific referendum that sure. are on the ballot, what is the difference between uh, a referendum versus you, kind of the positions we just talked about, something where uh, a person fills a position? Does that make sense? Yeah. So a, a referendum question, there, there are really there are many different types of render- mm-hmm. referendum questions. I would say the two primary different types are advisory referendum and binding referendum. Okay. So a referendum question, and there are um, there's one of them at least on this ballot, uh, and that's the ballot regarding redistricting at okay. the county level. That's what's called an advisory referendum. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a survey of voters. How do you feel? about this particular issue. Nothing will change necessarily as a result of how they respond to the referendum Mm -hmm. question, but it can be used to demonstrate how voters in the county or in the state feel about a particular issue. In this case, it's redistricting. Um, The other other type is called binding, Mm -hmm. and that is, depending on how people vote, could actually lead to a change in state law. Um, and so we have a we have two referendums on there yeah. that are binding, one having to do with how uh, victims of crime are treated and the legal rights that are associated with those individuals, and then the other has to do with um, a greater allocation of revenue from mm-hmm. the state toward 
uh, Milwaukee Public Schools. Right. So, so it, the advisory referendum you you uh, referenced, the advisory part of that comes in where they say if that referendum passes, if more people vote yes than no, then there's no law that changes necessarily, but it is kind of a, de- a declaration that the you know the citizens or the the voters of Milwaukee. Um, have you know, have have spoken in this way and say, are asking the state to do this in a in a kind of a, a unified way rather right. than through the representatives? Right. right. Yeah, that's really how an advisory referendum mm-hmm. is used. Let's say you want the Wisconsin legislature to make a change. Yeah. But maybe it's an unprecedented change, and mm-hmm. there's no real history in terms of how voters might feel about the issue, then you can survey voters and then you can go to the legislature with the result of that survey, Mm -hmm. the referendum question and say, look, this many people in Milwaukee County or this many people in the state of Wisconsin think that this change to law should occur. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it can lead to change actually occurring. Yeah. And and so those two binding referendums that you mentioned, I just want to talk about a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um, so first one, uh, it's kind of commonly referred to, I guess, as the MPS referendum. But essentially, you know, asking voters uh, to pay for an increase in MPS's budget of $87 million over three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's paid for through uh, increased property taxes, correct? The levy, yes, correct. The levy. Yeah. Um, and so this is the first time that, uh, I was just reading this, uh, this is the first time that MPS has done a referendum like this since 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has, I mean, it, it has been a while, right? Um, obviously, they've been raising money in other ways, but it's... It's unique, it. it's yeah. Unique, yeah. It's unique to Milwaukee. I mean, mm-hmm. th- this... This referendum question is not unique in the state of Wisconsin. It, mm-hmm. State law requires a school district to present a referendum question to its residents prior to increasing their tax levy. Gotcha. So I've seen referendum questions from school districts across the state um, go forward to voters. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time, as you mentioned, I believe since... 1993 that MPS has um, made this type of a request or uh, presented this type of question, uh, referendum question on a ballot. Oh, right. And uh, there was another binding referendum you mentioned. Can you talk about that one for a little bit? So that's these referendum questions actually represent the three levels of government. There's there's or three levels of government. There's the county one, and that's the redistricting question. There's the MPS one which really represents local government. Um, And then there is a state referendum question uh, on the ballot having to do with um, really amending the state statutes. Um, And those are the governing laws Mm -hmm. with regard to rights that are extended to victims of crime. At least that's my understanding of the question. Um, I think voters can be challenged by the language of this particular referendum question. It is definitely a question where you're going to want to do, where a voter is going to want to do some research Mm -hmm. um, if they appear on election day and do want to vote in the referendum questions. You know, we get asked a lot of times, do I have to vote in every contest? Mm -hmm. Do I have to vote in the referendum questions? You know, no, you actually do not, but we really encourage voters to, if you're going to make that trip to your polling place and you're going to cast a ballot, 
Make it count. <laughs> be prepared. Make it count. Yeah. yeah, be able to vote in every contest. Be able to vote on the referendum questions on the ballot. By doing this is one of the more complex referendum questions that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. much more complex, for example, than the redistricting referendum question. Yeah. It's one you're going to want to take a look at before you go and and really kind of do a, a little bit of research so that you really you you know understand the question in its entirety before you vote on it. Uh, right, and I'm I'm reading it right now. It starts off as shall section nine M of Article One of the Constitution, which I know. Right, and then it goes on for you know much more than that. And I think, but even that, that's just kind of like legal language. I know if I'm reading that for the first right. time, that communicates to me like this is above my head. As you said, if I'm not going to the polls with a plan with this one. I, I don't know one way or not. I'm probably just not even going to know what it's saying. Right. Really. Yeah. And that's um, actually, the, that that kind of represents a, a grievance, I'll say, that a lot mm-hmm. of voters have is referendum questions, particularly referendum questions that amend the law. So yeah. they're going to be very legal by nature right, because right. they're talking about changes to the law can also be very complex. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure after reading it, Am I, would I, should I be voting yes or no? Mm-hmm. Then a lot of people tend to skip the question, yeah. which leaves the decision making then up, you know, to a pretty small handful right. of it's those people. those that can organize around it. Right. Yeah. Who come prepared. So um, mm. I think if you do, you know, if you do a little bit of particularly online research, yeah. um, you can have the language broken down in, into a way that yeah, is yeah. maybe more meaningful than what appears on the ballot. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so moving moving to county uh, county positions. So first off, um, again, uh, recent listeners will probably um, recognize this one, county executive. So we've had um, actually the, the two candidates who made it um, to the to this round of voting, we're we're on Bridge City, so maybe that's to all the other candidates there. That's a good sign <laughs> if you're on our podcast. So yeah. Neil, if you ever nice if you, you want to run for county executive, I think you're this is a good I, place to start. I'm getting on this show. <laughs> yeah, um, but so um, recent listeners are probably going to be familiar with what a county executive is. But say you're just jumping in at this episode, don't know what a county executive is. What is it? Yeah, and so. Um, there are services that municipalities, cities are responsible for within, um, you know, the operations of a region. And there are services that the county is responsible mm-hmm. for. So, for example, cities have police, cities yeah. have fire, uh, counties have things like um, programs that uh, provide uh, um, services for seniors mm-hmm. or uh, the county court system, the right. county courthouse, uh, the park so, system, yeah, zoo, the park system, yeah. lot highways. of pardon on the highways. So like the 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 sheriff is that's the yeah county. the sheriff's yeah. office, right? So two um, unique and I, I would say distinctively different level of services provided on the municipal level mm-hmm. and provided on the county level. All oh, right, and um, so. Some overlap in terms of power structure. The mayor works with the common council. Mm -hmm. The county executive works with the board of county supervisors. And so, uh, you know, a a little bit of overlap there, but very, very, I I would say, distinctive responsibilities. And ones that I think are just like at the municipal level, 
mm-hmm. um, that are really Municipal relevant. Municipal means like, like the city. city level. Yeah. yeah. That are that pretty much touch our lives every day. I mean, mm-hmm. people feel very strongly, as you mentioned, about county parks and the condition yeah. of the parks mm-hmm. and access to the parks. Also, um, services for our seniors, the aging population. So both, you know, both the mayor on the city level and uh, county executive on the county level are are pretty critical to how things operate in Milwaukee County and and uh, in the city of Milwaukee. Sure. And you mentioned uh, county supervisors um, and kind of the similarities in um you know, job descriptions between like a county executive and a mayor is a county supervisor is like, like an older person of the county. Is that like kind of an, a good way of thinking about it? Yeah. Again. Um, and I, the Milwaukee County then is divided into county supervisor districts yeah. and those county supervisors, everybody in Milwaukee County has a county supervisor as a representative. Mm-hmm. Um, and those county supervisors then really represent the residents of that area in county decision making or decision making that in, impacts the county. Sure. Um, so moving on to this, the judicial section of yes. the of the ballot, there's a few different levels of judicial positions on the ballot. So one is circuit court judge, um, another is court of appeals judge, and another is justice of the Supreme Court, um, Wisconsin State Supreme Court. Right. Um, why why so many judges what's the are they different levels different offices uh really i know that's kind of a big question but like yeah so that's a, that's a good question because mm-hmm. i think voters almost like referendum questions mm-hmm. often really don't understand how the judicial process works yeah. we have um levels of um the judicial process in the state of wisconsin everything from you can have a municipal judge, which is like a judge that is specific to the city of Milwaukee. Now, we don't have any municipal judges on this particular ballot, but they have they are on other ballots. And you have circuit court judges. And then, as you said, we have mm-hmm. court of appeals judges and we have state Supreme Court judges. Um, those judicial roles just have different oversight roles. Some of them have much more hands-on. They yeah. hear court cases on a daily basis and make decisions mm-hmm. about those court cases. Obviously, everyone um, within the judicial process follows the letter of the law. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they they look to guidance from previous cases and from the Constitution and the state Constitution. So, um, and, you know, again, just like with, I guess, m- more regularly – uh, reviewed elected positions like mayor and county executive, mm-hmm. um, judges make decisions that affect our lives every day too. They make right. legal policy and set mm-hmm. precedent decisions related to sentencing and incarceration rates and um, other you know factors that I think are particularly relevant to the mm-hmm. city of Milwaukee. Um, now, in many cases, you have uncontested judicial seats where it's just the incumbent, the person who is the judge now mm-hmm. uh, running for office. But I know in some of these circuit court branches, they are contested races. Yeah. 
meaning there is more than one candidate running for that office. And these these terms are are long, right? So whereas a you a mayor is elected for four years, a justice of the Supreme Court, a Supreme Court state Supreme Court justices, I think ten years is the ten year term. Yeah, yep. That's a I mean that's a that's a long time. It's a big big decision, right? You're right. But, yep. Yeah. So um, no, you know it it's it we. Sometimes we have recounts after an election or even in the election results. It, mm-hmm. It's it's interesting to take a look at. You can see what's called undervotes. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually about yeah, that later. But. <laughs> that's everybody who casts a ballot but did not vote in that particular contest. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of undervotes in the judicial races, including state Supreme Court. State Supreme Court sets really, really critical law in the state of Wisconsin. It is one of, they are some of the most influential decision makers Mm. when it comes to um, how things operate in the state, what's legal, what's not legal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, you know, it, it saddens me when you see people skip right past a contest as critical as state Supreme Court um, because maybe they're not sure, they haven't heard anything yeah. about the candidates. This particular race, state Supreme Court, is it's really critical to do a little bit of research before voting um, again so that you don't feel like you have to skip it yeah. um, and feel like you can actually make an informed decision about a candidate. Sure. Yeah. Lesson of, lesson of this podcast is, is do your homework before uh, going into the ballot box. Right. <laughs> Be prepared. Be prepared. Um, la- last thing on the ballot, um, presidential primary, right? So we're you're probably more familiar with these candidates than um, anyone else in the ballot, right? I think most listeners probably are. They're heard more of yeah, know, um, yep. people running for president. Um, I don't know if there's much to say about this one that hasn't already been said. But. Well, I can tell you two things that often confuse voters about the presidential primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is it is a partisan primary. Sure. So um, some states have closed primaries. Some states have open primaries. Wisconsin has an open primary. What that means is you see the candidates from the two different political parties, the Republican Mm -hmm. Party and the Democratic Party. But you have to choose your preferred political party and vote for a candidate with that party. You don't get to vote in both. And what I mean by that is a lot of people will pick a candidate on the Democratic Party ballot, yeah. and they'll pick a candidate on the Republican Party ballot. If you do that, is your whole ballot thrown out, or your is ballot it, will be rejected? It just so your votes for everything else, so mayor, alderperson, county executive, all that's gone. To- well, we're saying at a, at a, if this occurs at a voting site, if yeah. you go to a voting site, your ballot will be rejected, and you'll be issued a new ballot. Okay, and they'll even tell you what you've done. wrong, if you will, on the ballot, and you'll have an opportunity to correct that. Okay. But it's just really good for voters to understand this. this, Pick one or the other. One or the other. Mm -hmm. Choose you. And it doesn't have to be. You're not locked into voting with that political party. Mm -hmm. But for the presidential preference race, it's your preferred political party, Mm -hmm. maybe the one that kind of ideologically you associate with the most. And you pick from that list of candidates who you want to represent that party going forward into the presidential election in November. That's really the purpose of the presidential preference. The other thing that people often get confused about is they see candidates on the ballot 
who have already dropped out of the presidential mm-hmm. race. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, in particular, if you look at the Democratic Party ballot, yeah, there's a more than like half of those candidates right, yeah. have already dropped out. Yeah. So once you are certified to be a candidate on a ballot, you can't have your name removed. So okay. it goes forward with your name on that ballot, even though you have dropped out. All right. Just good again for voters. Think about who you want to vote for and know who the active candidates are mm-hmm. um, and who's dropped out sure. in terms of ending their campaign. All right. So that that is that's everything on the ballot. Last question. It's a question we ask every guest on Bridge City. Yeah. Um, all about action. We don't. This is a lot of information. A lot of good information. Um, I imagine one of the action steps is going to be to vote. Um, But if you have any action steps around what we talked about today, um, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, Yeah, so I I only have two, and one of them you already covered, Mm -hmm. and that is voting. Um, Hard to see that one coming. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, I talk about things that can be a little disheartening. Mm -hmm. Um, One is the really significant uh, number of people who only vote in the presidential election. Yeah. So, you know, we we see a really um, notable variance between the presidential primary, school board races, judicial races, even the, the governor's race yeah. compared to the presidential. So be an informed voter, but also be a frequent voter. Mm. Ma- make the effort, invest. I mean, this is really the foundation of democracy takes only a little bit of homework. You know, this, this isn't getting your law degree. This yeah. is doing a little bit of homework um, and turn out and vote in every election. There aren't really, there's there's uh, only six elections in a two-year period. So mm-hmm. I, I think we can all make the time and make sure that we're turning out on a more frequent basis uh, than we do. Absolutely. But the second is um, the, the real unsung heroes of elections are poll workers. Mm-hmm. And, and poll workers really feel that great sense of civic responsibility. They recognize that elections are important and they're giving of their time to make sure that elections are properly administered. You know, they are really the face of the election to voters. And um, we, any person who's a resident in Milwaukee County, doesn't have to be the city of Milwaukee, can be an election worker. Mm-hmm. In the city of Milwaukee, we have 180 different voting sites in the city, so you can find one that's close to where you live, if not the one where you go to vote. But we really need residents, um, particularly younger people, because it, it, mm-hmm. there's not a very good age demographic here. It tends to be seniors retirees. who are poll yeah. workers, retirees, yeah. Take a day off from work. Um, take yeah, a vacation can. day. Yeah. You can get a little extra money. Mm-hmm. Poll workers are paid um, $130 for the day. Oh. Um, but above and beyond that, you, you know, you're then really inserting yourself um, beyond the level of a voter into democracy. Mm-hmm. You're, you are really investing in democracy um, on the local level, and um, you're going to feel 
great for having done it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say also, I was a poll worker for the November 2018 election um, at my polling place. Uh, can Would highly recommend if you can get the time off work. Um, I know that's not an option for some people, but um, if you can, would recommend, as you said, it's a, you are like in, inserting yourself in the democratic process, which I, you know, a uh, nerd like me gets geeked about, but I like, <laughs> I, I did really enjoy it. And as you mentioned, um, you know, it was a, I did a half a day. I did the morning shift and it was 80 something, 80 something extra bucks. So like, yeah. that's, that's nice. Yeah. Right. You don't have to commit to the full day. We, mm-hmm. it does, it is divided into the two different shifts. If you yeah. work one shift or the other, maybe you have to work in the morning, but you can come in, you know, early afternoon yeah. and do it. Um, then your pay is prorated, yeah. but, um, you know, we've never, I've never heard anyone say, hey, I became an election worker and I really regret that I did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Instead, people are like, particularly um, for a high turnout election, people will report it was really an amazing experience yeah. to see democracy happening um, at the ground level like that. Mm-hmm. Anybody who wants to apply to be a poll worker in the city of Milwaukee, again, can go to our website milwaukee.gov backslash election. You'll see an election worker section and we have an online application process. All right. Um, Thank you so much. That's all I've got. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you, Neil, for both coming on the podcast and for hosting us in your office to record. And of course, thank you to all of y'all who are still with us all the way at the end. Remember, it's very likely that the only way remember it's very likely that the only way to vote this year will be by requesting an absentee ballot, which you can do until Thursday, April second, if you're registered. Um, but if you're not registered, you need to do that by March thirtieth. Both and both of those dates are coming up very soon. So go to my vote. To do both these things, you can go to myvote.wi.gov and click request absentee to request an absentee ballot or register to vote. As always, if you like what we're doing and want to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon at the $4.14 level. For just $4.14, you keep us on the air at Riverwest Radio, you help us invest in new equipment, and honestly, just have us not have to dig into our own pockets to keep this going. Uh, We volunteer our time, we don't pay ourselves for this, um, but it is nice to not have to pay for these things out of pocket and to have you all um, support us that way. So to all of you who are already our patrons, uh, at any level, thank you so, 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 so much. You're a huge reason why we're still doing this. But if you're not a patron and you're financially able, throw us that $4.14 a month to keep this going. And of course, you can always email us, Call us, chat with us on Zoom. Um, that's a pretty popular one these days. Mail us a letter. Do whatever you need to do to stay socially distant, but let us know how you are helping bridge the city.